Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the show. This is uh, our continuing coverage of Werewolf by Night. So that means Al Sedano is here with me. And he and I are going to tackle not one, not two, but three issues in this episode. We're going to continue our coverage of Werewolf by Night with issues 8 and 9. And then we are also going to be covering Marvel Team-Up number 12, uh, Spidey versus Werewolf by Night uh, action here with a <laughs> pretty lame villain that we... Uh, bust on pretty good but uh, it's all in good fun and we had a great time here recording about this one so stay tuned after the break and we'll jump right into it for it is written the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with her blood and I saw her sit upon a hairy beast and she held forth a golden chalice full of the filthiness of her fornications. And upon her forehead was written, Behold, I am the great mother of harlots and all abominations of the earth. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics and this is our continuing Werewolf by Night coverage, so that means I have Al Sedano here with me. How are you, Al? <laughs> Werewolves of London. <laughs> I'm good, man. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So we're actually, this is going to be a big one. So we're covering three issues in this episode, and we'll explain that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're continuing our coverage here, and you know, when we last saw Jack, he was, you know, at an insane circus. And that was a, a really fun episode to talk about because there was a that lot was of crazy weird. things. Yeah, that was weird. And it was crazy. And uh, I loved it. But uh, these three issues we're going to talk about here. These are, uh, to me, even a notch above and not because for any reason that I can explain other than uh, the cover to uh, issue eight that we're going to lead off here with is my favorite Werewolf by Night cover of all time. Uh, I don't have the single issue, but I have it here in the Marvel Masterworks now, and I've always had it in the uh, Essentials, but now seeing it in the glorious uh, reproduction in color, full color, I should say, uh, of the Masterworks, I'm even more in awe of it. I love this cover. It's a very weird one-off story here. I don't think it's ever returned because there is a bit of a loophole at the end of it, and we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's where we're starting off here is Werewolf by Night, number eight. Cover dated August 1973, and this is a Mike Plug cover. I think this actually might be his last cover. So what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, this cover is crazy. For one thing, it looks like the werewolf is fighting a bigger werewolf that vomits fire. Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like he's breathing fire. It looks, like he's just, it looks like it's just kind of coming out. Yeah, he's lurched you know? over a little bit there. Like, he, he also escaped from the circus, and he was the fire eater, and he ate a little too much. You know, the fire was a little too spicy for him, and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> the, I the circus somewhere. chili. <laughs> yeah. He ate Green Arrow's chili. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it it's kind of like a, what, a werewolf, like, Wendigo-type looking beast or something? Yeah, yeah, like a werewolf and a Wendigo had a baby. Mm -hmm. And his name is Krog, the Lurker from Beyond. That is such a 50s Marvel thing. Yes, this looks like an Atlas era thing. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he had been, but I'm looking it up and I'm showing only one appearance, this one. Yeah, which sucks because I love this crazy creature. And like I said, there's a little bit of a loophole at the end here that... I, I know, I know his other appearance. 
because let's see what what was the cover date of this? Uh, Yep, I know his other appearance. He's in a movie, Night of the Lepus. Uh, Bo, I was gonna, I was gonna say Monty <laughs> Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, could be that one too. <laughs> yeah, we'll explain that craziness. We'll, we'll, we'll. Let me rephrase that. We will try to explain that craziness uh, oh, God, at the end of Night this of one. the Lepus. <laughs> but yeah, this cover, I love it. It's got you know this huge Krog creature. And like you said, he's kind of lurched over menacingly, breathing fire. And we have Lisa uh, trussed up against some tree roots. And Jack is to the right. And he's kind of jumping out of uh, the way of the fire that this monster's uh, breathing. And then, like I said, it says Krog the Lurker from beyond down the bottom amongst the fire. And then there's one little uh, cover blurb here, a little box. And it says, he lives, he breathes fire, and nothing can stop him. <laughs> I love it, though. Great cover. I really love it. Good job. I do love how they have the words in the fire coming. Like, it's perfect there. Yes. Yes. That looks really, really good. Good choice. I mean, it is kind of cinematic. You almost see that as, like, the opening scene of, like, the movie featuring Krog. You know, the opening B movie from, like, the late 60s, early 70s. As the monster comes out, like, people camping and breathes fire. And in the fire, the words come up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Totally agree with you there. That's a perfect assessment of what's going on here. <laughs> so, yeah, this one is uh, The Lurker Beyond the Door is the actual name of the story here. And this is uh, Len Wein writer. And then uh, we have some uh, different artists here. So, you know, no more Plug. So they had to do probably just grab somebody, you know, out of the offices or off the street corner here. And we got Werner Roth uh, and Paul Reinman. And I know Werner Roth just a little bit. I know he did some of the earlier X-Men issues in the Silver Age after yes, Kirby left. after Kirby. He's the artist that Roy Thomas worked with initially mm-hmm. yeah. when he was first on the X-Men. Not his Neil Adams, not obviously, obviously not the Neil Adams run he did, but the early issues, you know, late teens, early 20s. Yeah, that's where I know him from. And then Paul Reinman, I have seen that name on some... I'm not sure if it was Golden Age or very early Silver Age horror work from Marvel that sometimes they would reprint it uh, like little three, four page stories and jam them in the back of, you know, more of the Bronze Age horror like anthology titles or even, you know, some random issue of, uh, you know, Werewolf by Night or something. If they had to fill out a page count, they would sometimes throw them. I'm looking at at least of his Marvel work and I'm seeing a lot of... uh... So early Silver Age as an inker, like inc- no, I'm saying all the stories since you know there's multiple stories back then, but like mm-hmm. Incredible Hulk one, X Men one, X Men two, Avengers two. So yeah, yeah, a lot of early Marvel. That's definitely where I know that name from too. Yeah, early Marvel, and um, then we have Gene Izzo letters, uh, Glennis Ween colorist, and uh, Roy the Boy Thomas uh, as the editor here. So yeah. yeah, this this one is a a very simple plot here. It just says uh, Jack Russell accidentally releases Krog from the cave where he was trapped, <laughs> and that's basically the whole story in a nutshell. But uh, there are some yeah. uh, in- interesting things here to uh, you know uh, talk about. So uh, why don't we dive in, starting with the splash page where you know they pick up with you know continuity here, right? Right out of the gate, yeah. we see the circus. And I mean, Werner doesn't draw a bad werewolf. I mean, his werewolf, Plug's werewolf, is a little more of a short hair. Yeah, it is more of a Jack Russell terrier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the werewolf we're going to get in some of these issues is it's a little it's a little hairy. It's a little more fur to him. It's a little more shaggy. Yeah, he looks a little more sinister to me the way Werner Roth and Paul Reinman, uh, you yeah. know, draw him here, right? Yeah, which you know that works. I mean, hey. 
No, he's mm-hmm. supposed to be a werewolf. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's the protagonist, but he's not always the good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not technically like a hero or anything. So for him to look a little sinister and you know like that, I, I think that's a good choice here. And like you said, yeah, they do a really good job on this very first splash page here. With I, I do like this and, page. Yeah, this is a really good page. Like the background isn't very detailed, but what's in the foreground is Jack standing there looking off of like a bit of a precipice here down at the the carnival there, Calliope's Carnival and Circus, the greatest combined show on earth, uh, burning to the ground after the events of last issue there with that uh, crazy Swami guy that was, you know, he had this crazy, what do you have, like a jewel or something like that? And he was trying to yeah, take the over bloodstone. the world. The blood not, bean, yeah. Yeah, the bloodstone. Not the bloodstone, but a bloodstone. <laughs> that looked like a kidney bean, yeah. <laughs> yes, the blood bean. The blood bean, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I do love the uh, the starting off with the continuity here. You know I mean? This story has nothing to do with anything else that went on before or really happens after. Uh, but uh, I, I should say the main story. There's some subplot here, but the main yeah. story is uh, nothing really to do with anything else. So, yeah, really, really love that first page. And then Jack... <laughs> I love on uh, page two here, he's you know running through the uh, forest, and of course he needs to find food. And there's this insane panel of a close-up on his face where he's sniffing uh, some aroma coming from a, a local yes. fire here. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's that pretty funny. So... The little piggy nose he has. Yeah, he does kind of look like a pig, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got like that... Sh- it's like a combination of like a dog's snout and a human. So it's like the way the dog's nose looks, but human on a human instead of an actual snout. So it's just, it makes it look kind of picky. <laughs> so yeah, he comes upon a uh, a, a camp here with two hunters and uh, he's going to just help himself to their whatever um, that is. <laughs> I mean, I understand maybe you're thinking the fire will keep things away, but it's like really they go, they hunt something, they cook, they go to cook it and they're like, let's take a nap. Yeah, I thought, what if it burns? Like, what are you doing? These are bad hunters. I don't know if they shot a pig or what is it, whatever it is they shot, I'm assuming, is what's uh, roasting on the fire here. And Jack just kind of helps himself to it. And again, these two guys are asleep, but the caption box reads, this food was the first I had eaten in days. I guess this is Jack's inner monologue here. And then he says, and as I tore into it, I littered one low growl of satisfaction. And as he's biting into it, there's a little sound effect. Nard. I wasn't have to wake up the two hunters. They're light sleepers, I guess. <laughs> well, not that light. The you know, I don't think they're that. I don't know if this is something they killed. Like I said, I don't think they're that good of hunters. I think this is something they. Per, I think this is something they brought with them. This is from the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're talented enough to actually have caught anything and know what to do with it afterwards. Yeah, because as we'll see here, they. Uh... Uh, they are definitely novices when it comes to hunting because they wake up from the uh, narg of uh, Jack biting into this meat. And uh, a guy says, Henry, I said I'd help you hunt down the wolf who's been killing your chickens, but this is ridiculous. And Henry says, stop gabbing, Lucas, and grab your rifle before that thing attacks. And uh, it's the, the, the guy pulls the gun, and he's just about to squeeze the trigger. And Jack takes a piece of beef that he was just chewing on and bounces it off the guy's head. On the head with it. <laughs> oh, man, is that great? No, bad human, bad. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And it, it, you know, makes his aim go off and the shot goes into the air. And before uh, he can uh, do anything else about it, Jack grabs the gun and uh, backhands him and they run away. 
and then Jack grabs the gun and just uh, smashes it against a tree, right? I like that. Is the gun. He's holding the gun. They're like, run, Henry, run. God only knows what that monster would do if you were a rifle. <laughs> That's great, because he is standing there holding it almost like he's going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> and we almost get like a little commentary. It's like, you know, you know, as he's looking at the weapon, then he start, the gun starts smashing against a tree. He goes, rifle, weapon. Wherever there are humans, there are weapons. Weapons that bring pain. Weapons that bring death. Now there's mm-hmm. one weapon, weapon less. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, you figure this was 73, you know, Vietnam War was still going on, so I'm not surprised by the uh, little... Uh... That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not surprised by that. But yeah, so <laughs> the other guy, he still has a gun, and he's laying down on the ground, and he aims it at Jack, who's running away. And he looks like he's 20 or 30 yards away from him, and he goes, ugly varmint, you won't eat my food, ruin my rifle, and get away with it. And he shoots him and hits him upside the head, like grazes him. I, it is it's something I thought of. I was like, wow, like in these comics, it's amazing how many people get hit with a gun, shot in the head with a gun, and it just, you know, grazes their skull. Mm-hmm. It's never a kill shot. <laughs> just enough to hurt them, but not enough to actually kill anybody. And I guess he's standing right by, like, you know, a bit of a cliff here, so that makes him lose his balance and he goes stumbling down this cliff here and i do like the panel progression there at the bottom of that page yeah i do like that i'm reading on marvel unlimited so i have like the panel by panel thing Mm -hmm. and it's pretty cool to see those three the way like you because they almost it's almost i mean you could tell the trees a little different Mm -hmm. but it's almost identical so it's almost this perfect little thing of him starting to go him rolling down the hill and then there's just nothing yeah he's gone he's at the bottom of this hill it's really cool looking (laughs) Yeah, and then these two guys uh, say, uh, come on, Lucas, let's get go down and collect that critter's pelt. And then the other guy says, no chance, Henry. You ain't getting me near that thing again. No how. Uh, he's and the then, smart uh, one. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, we do switch back to the uh, carnival here, and uh, the fuzz is there, and they're asking uh, Buck and Lisa what's going on here. Like, do they know what happened here? And they kind of just play dumb and act like they don't know what happened, what's going on. And, and uh, they, they found three bodies in there. So we know which I guess everyone else lived because obviously it's just the three people that we know of. The strong man, the. Uh, what was it like the cowboy guy? No, the lion tamer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the lion tamer, the guy in charge. Yeah, the crazy swami guy. Yeah. Yes. So they're all they're all dead. Everybody else got out and hopefully, you know, got into new careers. <laughs> but um, yeah, then we see uh, Jack waking up the next morning and uh, we have like a, a reverse. uh change here right oh you mean him going back to human yeah yeah that's pretty neat usually we always just see it the other way around but you know they did a pretty good job here yeah he usually just wakes up as human we don't Mm -hmm. always get them turning back normal yeah it's kind of funny it's like you just get the middle of his face human while the rest is still furry Mm mm-hmm yeah (laughs) like he shaved just right here it's like i'll just say it from my mouth (laughs) and he goes Oh, he's got a headache, I guess, from the bullet grazing him. But there's no marks, no blood, no nothing. So he just got a headache from a bullet bouncing off his skull. That's nice. Well, that's nice. That that, that, mm. that works out well for you. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> and he, he starts, you know, talking about being under the Swami's mind control and this and that. And then he's like, oh, no, there's going to be another uh, full moon tonight. And he says, uh, you know, he says about Buck and he doesn't want him to find out and about the werewolf and this and that. So he's like. I think I'm going to go find some shelter. And, of course, he creeps into this little cave here. 
And there's a rabbit right away. He calls it a bunny rabbit specifically. And he calls yeah. it a little little bunny rabbit. And it doesn't look little to me. Yeah, it's a little furry bunny. It's a little white furry bunny. Hopping along. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so he hears moaning then from the cave. And he's like, hmm, what's going on back there? And he, uh, I don't know where he got the matches from, but he uh, fires up a torch here and goes into the back of the cave and finds this crazy door. Now, I will admit this was my favorite part uh, of the story here. I really, really love this craziness of him finding this door. And then once he breaks the lock off and gets inside this door, uh, all this crazy backstory on uh, what we're about to find out. Right. I thought the crazy thing would be that the bunny rabbit was following him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe thought there was food in there. <laughs> it's like, why is the bunnies? The bunny's like, I'm out of here. Human gone. And it's funny. This bunny's like, nope, let's go see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it starts creeping around in there, and then he suddenly looks to the uh, corner of this cave, and he sees a skeleton there holding a book, and the book says uh, Amos Treach, his diary. Um, I'm thinking, okay, so this guy was in a cave, and where did he get that to uh, put on that book? You know what I mean? It just seems a little like almost like a store-bought book, not like he made it. Yeah, yeah, this reminds me of the scene in Goonies when they find the uh, chest oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does. But yeah, he's uh, he goes to grab the book. He goes, uh, it's a diary. Maybe this will explain things. If not, well, it's something to keep me occupied till moonrise. And he does uh, dig in the book here. Yeah, and reads, about, right, reads about this uh, Amos Treach guy. And he says, a pharmacist by trade, a practicing warlock by avocation. And it does show him uh, conjuring up a demon here, right? Yeah. Yeah. The demon called Krog. Because you got to say it that way because there's two G's. Yeah, you got to say it with, emphatically because there's an exclamation point. Krog. <laughs> I like that scene, though. It's not, you know, the best, you know, rendered thing I've ever seen in my life or anything, but it's still pretty cool. Uh, I like the uh, visage of, like, this Krog werewolf-like Wendigo-type creature coming up out of the smoke, out of the uh, brazier there, and yeah. it just takes off and runs away. <laughs> Go figure. You raise up a demon to be your servant, and it doesn't work out well. I, I, I'm shocked. I am just so shocked. Well, yeah, the not that shocked. Yeah, the caption box says, At first, I thought to make Krog a servant to my will, but to my everlasting chagrin, I soon discovered a being such as Krog calls no man master. <laughs> and now what about that next that book? <laughs> yeah, what about that panel there, too, after he says that? And it, uh, we see Krog coming, uh, approaching uh, some citizen here. What about that? Yeah. Yeah. This guy's face is a little weird looking. Mm-hmm. I he, love he's a little off in there. But yeah, it's kind of fun. It's, it is kind of fun, though. Just like, you know, for several days, Krog, the wandered the land, devouring the lives of those hapless enough to cross his shadow path. Yeah. So he ate so, that guy. Yeah. Krog's eating people. <laughs> what? <laughs> My gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yep. He is very Wendigo like. I mean, yeah, they man. try and they try and make it a bit more sanit. I mean, they they kind of cover their bases a bit by saying he absorbs the life essence, but considering like later on, there's kind of like a hit. There is a hint of yeah, and then I eat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, our buddy Amos here thinks to himself, and each death did weigh more heavily upon my soul until at last, seething in frustrated rage, I hit upon a plan to correct my terrible mistake. And this is where he. Uh, you know, lured the uh, creature back into this cave and then shut the door and locked it on him. Yeah, because apparently when he's imprisoned, his powers... Well, it says a demon's power is nullified. I don't know if that's always true, but at least it's true with this one, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he's too worried about Krog ever getting out, so he basically just kind of sits there until he dies. Yeah, and Which, I do love... I understand yeah. that a bit. On the other hand, it's like, how long do you think you lasted? I mean, wouldn't you be better off living and, like, checking on Krog every day to make sure he was still hidden? You know, you, you mm. potentially have more... I mean, what if someone freed Krog two days after you died? You know, you got maybe a week and then you're dead. You know, suppose if you check on it daily, you could keep him hidden for like the next 30 years. Yeah, because it's just a wooden door with a lock. It's not like it's this impenetrable thing that you'd need like a bazooka to get it open or anything, right? And since you left your tools right there, people, you know, like Jack found a hammer go, hey, I can smash this lock. Smashy, smashy. <laughs> yeah, and Jack's funny. He's in the cave and he's just like... uh there's no demon inside this cave. Well, I wonder what happened. And he goes, that old guy must have had a vivid imagination. That diary reads like one of Grimm's fairy tales. So then he just decides, well, I'm going to take a nap because, you know, the next thing you know, the moon's going to come up and I'm going to be running around going nutty. So I need my uh, beauty sleep here, right? <laughs> exactly. He's, I mean, he is, to be fair, he's probably a little tired, a little dehydrated. Mm-hmm. You know, he might not mm-hmm. be thinking straight because you would think the person who, you know, turns into a werewolf would be like, I wonder what, I wonder where the demon, like, I would have, just believe him not to be truthful if I was in that situation where I was a werewolf. Like, I wonder where the demon is. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we switch scenes to uh, the home of Philip Russell, uh, the stepfather of our boy Jack here. And the phone's ringing and he picks it up and says, hello, I thought I told you never to call me here again. And then he goes, mean it? Of course I meant it. And I mean this as well. I'm through. Do you understand? I want nothing more to do with you, no matter what it costs me. So I don't know hmm. what that was all about. That's a little interesting uh, scene there. And then uh, the fuzz knocks on his front door, right? Yeah, yeah. They want to ask. They want to speak to the his daughter, but she's at least is not home. Mm-hmm. But he wants mm-hmm. to ask some questions about a werewolf. Yeah, Lieutenant Hackett, and that's you know he's been in a couple issues, a couple of the more recent issues. I don't think he's been there from the beginning, but at least the last like two or three issues, they've had the little subplot of him digging into this uh, werewolf action that nobody else believes, right? Yeah. Now, by the way, Philip Russell, the way he looks and he's walking around that pipe attached to, I don't think, I think it's part of him. I'm <laughs> assuming he is what, the Marvel Universe equivalent of Doc Magnus from DC, from the Metal Men? He kind of does look like him, but yeah, maybe the pipe's glued to his teeth. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like the two of them, like the pipe's like permanently attached almost. <laughs> I love it. Well, you figure too, movies and even comics. Some of the older comics, everybody was always walking around with a cigarette too. Oh, it's oh, commonplace. Yeah. Reed Richards used <laughs> to smoke a pipe constantly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, but here we go. Night has fallen, and Jack wakes up, and we got a, a transformation scene here at the bottom of that next page, and it's pretty good. Like we said, you know, it's it's not plug, but you know, Werner Roth and Paul Reinman do a pretty decent job of it. They draw more like. You would think a monster than a man anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't look human-human. It should look like a, a a thing. Yeah, and it doesn't take him long. I feel like he turns into a werewolf and takes three steps away from the cave. And then, wow, how about this glorious page uh, with him uh, conversing with Krog here? See, let me go back from panel by panel because I'm only looking at one panel. Oh, yeah, the one page where Krog first shows up and Krog wow. actually talks. Yes, Krog speaks. He's very intelligent. Um, he's not the greatest fighter, though. I will say that. But, uh, yeah, he's pretty smart. Yeah. No, he's pretty smart. He's also a bit of an ass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got a big, a big attitude, he says. Now, this is what he says to Jack Russell, a werewolf running around. Hold, mortal. 
how does he know this world's a mortal? First of all, I don't understand that, well, but he goes, maybe it's a demon thing. He goes there, though your visage be different. Still, I can sense you are the one who freed me from my centuries long imprisonment. And for this, you have the gratitude of Krog. Krog is indebted to you, little one, and Krog shall repay his debt by making your death most mercifully swift. <laughs> That's nice of him. Yeah, he's very arrogant here because he gets pissed off at the werewolf for not letting him just kill him quickly. He's like, look, I was going to kill you quickly, but you just are being a jerk. Mm -hmm. So I'm now just going to kill you. I'm now going to kill you less quickly. Mm -hmm. make, make it more painful. <laughs> but I'm still going to kill you. Yeah, he dives at Jack and Jack just moves out of the way and he <laughs> falls like flat on his face. And as he's laying there on the ground, looking kind of helpless, I might add, he says, so, little one, you are far more nimble than Krog would have thought, but you only delay the inevitable. <laughs> yeah, because at first I almost thought they were kind of doing a thing of like, you know, because the, the thing Krog says next, though I bear you no malice, Krog must devour the life force of others to survive in your misbegotten world. So at first I thought maybe they were kind of doing an analogy of like people eating living things and Krog is like, it's like the Krog's not doing evil. Krog's just like, look, I'm hungry. I eat. That's what you people do. Mm -hmm. But no, but if they are, they're definitely taking the uh, the lower in the food chain side, if that's what they're doing, because Krog is definitely an ass about it. Mm -hmm. And he, he says he does this to regain his former power. And then he just keeps going on monologuing here and says, and so, though in some hidden corner of what humans would call my heart, I regret what I must do. And Jack, who's already heard this guy say he wants to kill him, devour him, and he's already attacked him, just stands there looking at him quizzically and goes, Ark? <laughs> I was like, does this guy ever shut up? <laughs> and he punches him in the face then and says, I will do it nonetheless. And does his hits him with a big left hand here and knocks Jack down, but Jack's not about to just lay down here. He, uh, you know, wipes back at him and punches him with like a back <laughs> fist. And then what about this next panel here? This Jack looks really weird. It it looks more like makeup. Yeah, like they just like this is a bad movie, and this is like you got too close a shot of the werewolf's face. You could see where they just kind of glued hair on him. Yeah, I feel it looks looks like a werewolf version of that Amos guy that wrote that diary. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> As Krog yelled him, "You ungrateful little creature, come back! Yeah, come back and let me kill you." Oh, okay, sure. What? Like I said, he's a bit <laughs> of an arrogant ass. Yeah, he says, I felt something, oh, I felt I owed you something, creature, for releasing me from behind that cursed door, but now I sense I was a fool. I owe you nothing, creature, except death. So he grabs, like, a small what boulder. Gotta yeah. do anyway. What's the difference? Yeah, and he throws it against, like, the mountain. He's throwing rocks at him. Yeah, and it causes, like, a little bit of an avalanche or something here, and he knocks Jack out, and there's poor Jack laying there, KO'd in the werewolf. He's all huddled up. It's like, poor, it's like a little puppy. He's, like, he's like hiding like a little, like a little whimper to puppy. He's like, aw. Yeah, he's in, like, the fetal position as he's getting pelted with boulders. <laughs> yeah. It's like, bad Krog. But it didn't take long for him to wake up, either, because Krog still monologues literally the entire time he does anything. Fights, oh whatever. And God, this guy yeah. does not shut up. I wish you, although I kind of wish he would come back and fight Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, well, they could go back and forth. I don't know if we would see the fight. We would just have word balloons all over. <laughs> yeah, especially if it was a Bronze Ager. That would be just like 80% word balloons and 20% art. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to draw a hand here. That's all I have room for. 
Yeah, so Krog grabs, like, rips a tree branch off of a tree, like a big one, and he's going to use it as a club. And just as about to, he's going to club Jack, he rolls out of the way. But he does say some interesting things here. He says, I am an elemental force, invisible to the mortal eye, requiring a host body to gain substance in your world. When first you revealed me, or released me, I attempted to possess your body, but found it already inhabited by the spirit of the wolf. So that's interesting, huh? You know, I'm just wondering now, because we... Here's the thing. If that's true, how did this guy summon him? Yeah, what are the, What form is he hosting Is hosting like, him now? Well, I mean, we know what's got... We'll find out what's hosting him now, but the thing is, like, what hosted him originally? Yeah, when I don't know. Was, unless unless Amos. maybe Amos was the one that was actually forced to be the yeah, form maybe. of Krog. Could I mean, be that, that makes it a little more interesting, actually. Yeah, because he tries to hit Jack with the uh, the tree branch here, and it says thrack. And he says, "I was forced to possess a smaller, less powerful form, and transform it to more closely resemble my own." And I'm thinking, I mean, what's he talking about? A a smaller, less powerful form? I couldn't figure this out until the very end here. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah why don't we uh, go to the next page there, where he just? Oh, but starts... wait! I love I love the thing when he yells as the werewolf dives out, rolls out of the way. What insolent creature? How am I to kill you if you will not remain still? <laughs> yeah, he just he can't believe Jack doesn't want to be killed by him. <laughs> That's what What's I said. He's wrong gotta... with you? Why are you <laughs> being such a jerk? Just let me kill you. Yeah. <laughs> what? This is crazy. But the next page, we do finally get something that resembles the cover where uh, Krog uh, uses his uh, fire breath to try to incinerate him. And again, Jack's not going to just stand still for it. So he just keeps kind of bouncing around. And then at one point, he uh, jumps on Krog from behind here. And Krog says, little fool, you dare attack me. And he's like trying to break his neck. But Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like he's holding on like pulling the neck back while pushing on his back with his feet. Yeah, that's pretty nasty looking, but it doesn't really work too well. I mean, Krog throws him off and uh, lands face first into a bunch of rocks here. But, you know, he <laughs> Krog, again, he talks the entire time. You have made a fool of me for the final time, little one. Now I will tear your life force from you. Or, and then all of a sudden we see uh, our two boys, the hunters here. And this is a very interesting interaction, is it not? Yeah, yeah, this is where, I, like I said, we get the whole thing. We talk about the life force, but I think mm -hmm. there's more to it than just, like, an absorbing of life force here. Yeah, because the panels, like, these two dopey hunters start shooting at him, and bullets apparently either don't affect him or go right through him or whatever. So he grabs them and says, two new life forces at last. Krog can feed. And they both scream, no. But then that last panel on that page, what does the caption box say? And when the grizzly meal was over. Yeah, so he ate those guys. Yeah, I'm going with he's eating people. <laughs> Krog is whole again. His power is complete. Now, that's one thing I have issue with here. It's his power is complete. He doesn't seem to be any more powerful now than before he ate the two guys. So what, what power is he talking about? I think he just means he's full. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to need to use the toilet soon. <laughs> that's basically what it is. And now, annoying little creature, Krog is coming after you. Okay, thanks for telling us. You know, it's like we we we've seen this is the the deal here. So he does chase him, and once again chases him into. I don't know if it's the same cave or a new yeah. cave. Nope, it's the same. It says it's the same cave. Back to the cave where I first discovered Krog. Oh, okay, yeah. Something. It doesn't really look like that one he first 
went into when he was like in human form yet. But okay, no problem. But yeah, Krog says it, is. it. It is over, little one. There is nowhere to go from here. No way out. And he starts creeping down the uh, cave after him and says, first, I sought to kill you, creature. It was reluctantly out of a need to survive. But when I destroy you now, it will be with the greatest pleasure. And Jack decides he is going to do this crazy leap and jump over the top of him to get back out of the cave. And Krog kind of like falls backwards, looking up at him and tries to use his crazy, you know, uh, heat breath here, his fire breath to blast Jack. And it looks like he almost does blast his nuts off there in that one battle on that last page. But he misses and it hits the top of the cave and causes a cave in. So I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, cool little one-off story with this Krog guy. You know, maybe sometimes his dialogue wasn't the greatest, but, you know, all right, cool. I'm into, like, crazy demons and stuff like that. But what about these last two panels here? Why don't you talk on them? Oh, God, yeah. So Werewolf sees the cave in, and Werewolf, of course, is like, okay, that's over. And I wanders off. But then, as it says, is uh, never noticing the small white furry form that crawled painfully out from the rubble, then scurried off into the night. It's quiet snuffling, like the sound of demonic laughter, as we see the little bunny rabbit crawl out from the cave and hop away. Yeah, so this is, that's, I didn't figure this out until now, that that Krog guy is inhabiting this rabbit. Well, like he said, I mean, the rabbit did follow Jack there, and like he said, I could not possess you because you already were possessed by the wolf. Mm -hmm. But I was able, I had to take a different form. And what happens after he opens up the door, if you go back there and he says there's nothing in there, he goes near the bunny, and the bunny growls at him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and looking at him kind of fishy. Yeah, he says, what's wrong with him? Suddenly he's treating me like I was poisoned. So, yeah, that, there was a little tip for you there, but I it totally went right over my head. I didn't even see it, but I thought, man, where somebody needs to take advantage of this. Like, <laughs> that rabbit is still out there somewhere running around. Like, make, make Krog come back. Now, yeah, now, like I said, I think this rabbit comes back in, but not as powerful. Obviously, he can't come back to Krog. Maybe he's too weak, but he comes back in Monty Python of the Holy Grail. <laughs> I think he does too. But nasty bunny with you know teeth. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> but also, just so you just to say, I don't know if it had any influence or not. But Night of the Lepus did come out the year before uh, in seventy two. Uh-huh. In this issue, seventy three. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I think Len Wein was watching Night of the Lepus. <laughs> I would oh, not be surprised. Fantastic. That's fantastic. So, yeah, like just like a quick little one-off crazy issue here, but I kind of liked it. I liked it quite a bit. What about you? Oh, that, no, it was fun because Krog is funny. I mean, he's not funny. Like, he's not like Spider-Man funny, but he's just amusing because he's such an arrogant jack, a jackass mm-hmm. that it's just kind of amusing, this, like, monster thing. He's like, he's like an evil version of the Beast, except he's not as smart as the Beast, but he thinks he is. Yeah, he he thinks he's like bigger, badder, tougher and smarter than he really is. Yeah, he thinks he's so much better than he is, but he's not. Mm hmm. So, yeah, it was it was fun. I liked it. And like I said, this cover, I'm a a sucker for horror comics and covers and crazy monsters and stuff like that. So that cover always was just like that for a long time. I was like, oh, man, that's like my holy grail. I wanted that more than I wanted, like, you know, werewolf by night number one. Yeah, (laughs) it, it is a fun issue. I'm a, I'm amused by it, 
the even though it's not Mike Plug in the inside because he's on the cover, it, the art is not so bad that you're like, oh, so disappointed. You know, when you have like such an, you know, you get an amazing artist in the, on the cover, and then you open it up and you're like, I don't even know who the hell this is, <laughs> nor do I want to. <laughs> yeah. I'm not naming names because that's cruel, and also, you know, anyone could be someone's favorite, but you, everyone's had that exa- that happen. At one yes. Point. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, wow. Look at this. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Too late. I bought it. Yep. Everybody's everybody's had that experience for sure, right? <laughs> but this is not horrible. So, and no. said, you know, and it also helps that the werewolf is still close enough to being a model and Krog is a new character. So it's not like mm-hmm. we're getting something else from before. And it's like, this is off and this is off. No, I thought they did a good job even with like Buck and Lisa with uh, yeah, Phil, Lisa pretty Phil, good. yeah, Philip, the stepfather. I I thought you know they again this was other than the werewolf looking differently and in more of a monstrous kind of way. I I thought they did a good job filling in. Yeah. No, I was so, fine with it. All right. Well, now for reasons we will explain, we are going to jump not to Werewolf by Night nine, but to Marvel Team Up number twelve and. Why are we doing that, Al? Because <laughs> because we like Spider Man. Yeah, we do like Spider Man, but not oh, hey, that. the werewolf's on the cover. <laughs> it's Spider Man and the werewolf, as in uh, Jack Russell, Werewolf by Night, Wolf at Large, Spider at Bay. So, believe it or not, according to the Grand Comics database, Marvel Team Up Twelve, Spider Man versus Werewolf by Night, is cover dated and on sale dated the exact same. Day, week, and month. Those two comics really? came out. I knew it was the same cover date, but I didn't know it was the same on sale, you know, listed on sale date. Yeah, they both That's are listed awesome. as May 29th, uh, 1973. And I thought, oh, wow. So if you went to, you know, the corner newsstand, you may have seen two, you know, if you were a Werewolf by Night guy, this this was for you. This was your day. This was your week. <laughs> but yeah, cool. Really cool. I thought that's wild. The, the fact that they put out two werewolf comics. Yeah, I, I, on I the same day. Of that. <laughs> yeah, that is really wild here. So, all right. Well, why don't we look at this one here? So this one has, uh, I feel like he's Mr. Cover for Marvel in the 70s. Uh, Gil Kane pencils and John Romita inks. What do you think of this cover? Uh, well, it definitely feels like a good Spidey cover because, you know, Gil Kane at this time period. It's weird, though. It almost looks like two or three different images mm-hmm. because like the like the white and everything it almost looks like they drew the background and then like cut and pasted the spidey and werewolf together it does yeah like you said there's a really weird like white border around spider-man like yeah. you said like he like he wasn't really there or i i don't know i don't know how they they pulled this off but it is a good cover it, i really like oh it. yeah i like it but it's just it's just kind of weird it's a little weird way. yeah yeah it does look a little odd but it says two of Marvel's mightiest and most mysterious in a battle to the death. So, okay, we know that's a lie. Is Spidey really that <laughs> mysterious to us? No, I mean, he's not I guess mysterious. to the people of the Marvel Universe, but to us, no. But I'm thinking, man, they're really pushing uh, this character here, putting him in uh, this Marvel team up with Spider-Man. Like, they're they're trying to boost some sales, I guess, here, apparently, of World by Night, right? Yeah, I mean, it's early on. I guess it's early on for both books, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel team up, I think it was 1972. So yeah, it's only been a year or so. Yeah, this is, this is also a weird thing for Spider-Man. This is weird timing. 
mm-hmm. as we're going to find out in the issue where, where Spidey's chronology is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I do want to mention, too, on the cover, instead of there being just like the, instead of a corner box, there's a little circle up in the corner and it has Spider-Man. And then the opposite uh, corner, it also has a little werewolf by night action there, which is cool. Yeah, I think they did that a lot in early Marvel team ups. I think there's like one I remember reading with Iron Man that has the same kind of cover. Like the little mm-hmm. corner, bo- you know, side corner box, you know, Spidey gets the main one because he's the main character. But mm-hmm. and I like that. Yeah. And it's perfect. I mean, if you're on the newsstand, that's what you're going to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So, all right. Well, why don't we jump into this one? So, like we said, it's uh, uh, Wolf at Bay is the name of the story here. And this one is uh, script uh, Jerry Conway, but a plot or I'm sorry plot by jerry conway and a script by len ween which is kind of funny so ween wrote the previous issue there of werewolf by night and he scripted this issue too which is kind of funny but uh we have pencils by ross andrew and i'm always used to seeing uh, mike esposito as his uh partner there with inks but this is actually inked by don perlin uh colors glennis uh, oliver which was actually glennis ween at this point, because I think the werewolf issue said Glennis Ween, so that's kind of funny. They are published the same month and the same day he came out on the stands, and one says Glennis Ween and one says Glennis Oliver. I just uh. find that hilarious. <laughs> and Charlotte Jetter as uh, the letterist here. So, uh, yeah, this one's uh, an interesting one here. So it just says, uh, synopsis, Spider-Man and werewolf stop Moondark and his plan to take over San Francisco. Oh, God, <laughs> Moondark. Yeah, so here we go. This is a, a, a great confrontation between Spider-Man and Werewolf by Night, and then it has a really lame-o villain in it. So we'll we'll get but to him, though, right? It's funny, because <laughs> he's such an idiot. Mm, yeah, he's kind of a goon. We're, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to get into him. He screws himself part. over. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so a uh, great splash page here to open up, right? I really like this. Oh, yeah, Spidey running up the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. With it, you know, with that little web pack of clothes that he always had on his back in the 70s. And his camera there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, coming to San Francisco, you know, trying to get his mind off Gwendy. Because just so people know, the last issue of Spider-Man that was out was Amazing Spider-Man 23, 123. Mm-hmm. So Gwen just died like mm-hmm. two issues ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And I think, isn't 123 or 124... That might be the man wolf. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is interesting. <laughs> so I'm looking it up specifically. Spidey's chronology here goes 121, 122, and 123. So that's the death of Gwen Stacy and the death of Norman Osborn. Mm-hmm. And then an appearance in Hero for Hire 12, because that makes sense. Because in 123, J. Jonah Jameson hired Luke Cage to bring in Spider-Man because he thought he killed Norman Osborn. When? Or Norman, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have Marvel Team Up 12. Daredevil 103, which makes sense based on what he, the reason he's here. Mm-hmm. And then he has the next Marvel team up and a, a cameo on Avengers 118. And then his next issue is, event, is Amazing Spider-Man 124, 125, which is the man-wolf issues. <laughs> so he's going from like werewolf to werewolf. Mm-hmm. Marvel was wolf crazy, apparently, in the <laughs> 1973. <laughs> I mean, that's just funny. It's not just the fact that it's right after the Gwen death. But like mm-hmm. he's literally in his, the next issue of his regular book, he's gonna fight a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I love to not a sorry, not a werewolf, a man wolf. A man wolf. Yeah, I love how on the bottom there too. There's a, a red uh, arrow box that points to Jack, just in case you didn't see the werewolf by night. You know, creeping, uh, watching Spider Man. He's kind of hidden there. 
Yeah, it says, especially if this strangely shaggy gentleman has anything to say about the situation. So, yeah, that's it's like right out of the gate here. There's barely enough time for Spider-Man to, uh, you know, have a little bit of a monologue where he talks about, you know, the girl I love being murdered and the Green Goblin. But then his spider sense goes crazy and right away Jack just jumps at him and starts attacking him, right? Yeah, and they start falling from the bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we get that's, of course, when we get the flashback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amidst being attacked by a werewolf, uh, Spider-Man thinks all of this, which is hilarious to me. So I'm thinking, how are you thinking and reliving all this and fighting at the same time? That's his true <laughs> superpower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We see uh, he is in the office there with Jay Jonah and uh, asking him for an assignment out of town. Right. I love Jonah's first line here: "Money." I tell you, Parker, that's the trouble with the world today. People have no respect for money anymore. <laughs> Uh-huh. First, that lunatic cage gives me grief. Now you. <laughs> and Peter's not trying to give him grief. He's just trying to get a out He's of town assignment. Advance. He's like, I just want work. Mm-hmm. I'm not but, looking for a raise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but while Jonah doesn't have anything off the top of his head, Robbie comes in, and apparently, for whatever reason, Daredevil and the Black Widow, who are currently living in San Francisco, are newsworthy. And they want to do a whole feature on them for the next you know, for the Sunday. And so they'd like to get some good photos. And so like, okay, Peter, go to San Francisco. Yeah. He's just like, okay, pal. He goes, what does he say? All right, Robertson, you made your point. Parker has a free ride, but if he comes back with anything less than brilliant and Peter says, don't worry about it, Mr. Jamison. And uh, with any luck, Peter Parker might not come back at all. So Peter kind of saying that, you know, because of what's just recently happened to him, he might want to move away for a long time. And I'm thinking, um, dude, what about Aunt May? I thought like you were worried about her every five minutes. Uh, yeah, that would have been interesting, though. I mean, they <laughs> did move Daredevil out there for like a couple of years. Imagine if they moved Spider-Man out west for like a couple of years because of everything. Yeah, maybe he would have just put Aunt May in a care facility or something, I guess. I don't know. Or shipped her out there, had her come out with him. <laughs> yeah, there you go. She could have I moved mean, that, out there, too. Although she might have been living with Anna Watson at this point, so she might have been fine. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. She always had her around to kind of help out. Yeah, I'd forgotten yeah. about it, Anna. So that that could have been an interesting thing if, like, he lived out in California for a couple of years. Like, that. that's an interesting con. Just the what if to think about. Mm -hmm. So right away, he finally stops thinking about all this nonsense. And he's like, oh, yeah, a werewolf's trying to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. And he's, you know, using uh, his uh, webbing here to make a trampoline and bounce off of it and basically just try to not get slashed up and killed. And then uh, Jack almost gets hit by a car, and I do like uh, on that page there, I guess it's page six I'm at now, where, you know, they're still going at it, but there's a close-up on uh, Jack's face, and he kind of like, you know, rawr, does his little crazy growl, and still trying to swipe at Spider-Man here, but that's a really good close-up on his face, yeah, though, right? Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's a pissed-off wolf. Mm. That is one angry wolfie. I like it. <laughs> very frustrated, very angry werewolf. <laughs> but he can't seem to get his claws on Spider-Man and then gets kicked in the face as well. But, you know, he does uh, do one final lunge, but Spider-Man is just a little more. Uh, he ducks. Uh, yeah, a little a little more adept at uh, avoiding uh, stuff like this. So he just ducks out of the way and he falls into the uh, the drink there. But he says, <laughs> Spider-Man, ouch. He hit that water like a sack of hairy bricks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I love Spider-Man's dialogue. <laughs> yeah. So he watch. Yeah. So he watches for a while to see if he comes up. But we get a face in the clouds behind, like in the smoke behind him, mm -hmm. watching him. 
Yeah, some uh, creepy-looking dude with a Fu Manchu mustache and a moon-shaped, uh, uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be a tattoo on his head or what. and Or know, makeup on his forehead. And I guess, I'm not sure if those are really weird sunglasses or just make dark makeup in triangle shapes he put over his eyes. Probably makeup. Yeah, like these diamond-shaped, like, black makeup around his I'm pretty sure this is all self-inflicted. This is all him trying to do a look. Yeah, this guy. Real... Yeah, it's definitely trying to do a look. Yeah, this guy's a kook. We'll get into him here, but oh god, he is hilarious. <laughs> so Peter's so pathetic. swinging around and uh, finally decides, like, hey, I'm going to throw my clothes on and uh, go to a diner and get something to eat. So he uh, orders uh, something crazy here: a cheeseburger on rye, well done on the grill, and a glass of milk. <laughs> the waitress is like, boy. yeah, wa- waitress, yes, sir. And he starts to look around and he sees everybody in this restaurant is like, they look like they're all like hypnotized or something, right? Like something's going on here. Yeah, like no one's paying attention. They're all like zombies, but, you know, zombies that just continue on with their day. Yeah. And then for some reason, the waitress, she's looking towards, I don't know what, and she just goes, ee! and then uh, yeah, Jack. I don't think we know down. why she does that. No, because she's not looking at Jack. She's looking in a completely other direction, like not other direction, but. She's looking like the the way the panel's laid out. Jack is in the front, and her and Peter are in the back. So she's almost looking like towards like the bathrooms or the kitchen or something. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with her. It's yeah, weird. maybe so, she just realized she has to clean the bathrooms. No, maybe, and then, that would make uh, me scream. Peter thinks to himself, "Looks like my furry playmate could manage a fair doggy paddle after all." And uh, that's not his only canine talent. He must have a nose like a bloodhound to track me all the way here. So he just starts attacking Peter. But the rest of the people in this place are just like oblivious and just keep eating. I like the fact that the one guy gets knocked like the werewolf bangs into his booth and like the coffee cup goes out of his hand. And the guy's still acting like he's drinking. It almost looks like he's smoking a doob. (laughs) Well, that's what it looks like the fingers. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> i do like the way this fight looks. this is kind of cool looking with like the fight with him and his cl- like his peter across you know outfit as opposed to spider-man because mm-hmm. you don't get yeah. to see that much usually he's re- he's always too careful to make sure he covers his face up because you know everyone in new york knows who peter parker is <laughs> yeah right and uh, yeah that's a good uh, call out because yeah like jack starts tearing out his clothes and slowly we're seeing the spider-man costume so you're thinking if you're you know peter like hey i gotta get out of here if somebody sees me wearing this, that's going to, you know, screw over my secret identity, right? Yeah. But the thing is, of course, who the hell knows who Peter Parker is anyway out there? Yeah, really, nobody would have a clue. But if they saw the spider clothes, they might think, hey, who is this kid? And you know, maybe somebody would have a camera, you know, a Polaroid. Oh, <laughs> Although, like he says, in fact, I doubt anyone in this crew would recognize his own reflection. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it seems like a lot of people in the city are kind of entranced. Yeah, and I love how he... Uh, Gets the better of Jack here. So Jack and him are going back and forth, and he's Peter standing in front of the side of a car, and Jack charges like a bull head first, and Peter just, you know, whip with a little bit of webbing, swings out of the way, and head first. Jack knocks himself completely out. <laughs> <laughs> he's not the brightest of fighters. No, but then all the people from the diner come walking out. They're still like kind of zombieized. They're just walking out and walking around. And everybody in the town, I should say town, in the city here, like on that block start, like walking in one direction. And Peter's like, everyone seems to be entranced, shambling off mindlessly as if to answer some silent piper's call. And I think this little spider ought to follow them and find out exactly where they're all going and why before. And he goes, huh? 
what's what in blazes is happening to him so before he can go check out what's going on with the people he looks down and sees the werewolf changing back into jack right yeah well behind spy i like that i like that's a nice little touch behind spider-man we can see the sun coming up mm-hmm. yeah yeah it must have been close to dawn yeah so and yeah we mm-hmm. get the werewolf turning back to jack and spidey's like uh so what's going on and they're basically both go asking each other what's happening uh-huh <laughs> i don't know yeah, and spider-man's like i'll just pick you up and carry you up the side of the building with me <laughs> what i <laughs> uh, love it let hang on to what's left of your jeans friend while i find us a private place to talk so they go to a rooftop to talk right yeah so he tell jack tells him that his he says my sister my best friend and i are only up here so that i can rest from the effects of the last full moon although so i guess it's been a month since last issue yeah. Oh, no, 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 it's not. That's fine. That's we find out it's not. It's not the full moon this time. So it could only be like a few weeks ago, maybe even a week ago, because we find yeah. out this is not a full moon. Well, there's something else driving this here. But, you know, he does say about, uh, we, he goes, we were street drive. We were driving along Market Street when we noticed the marquee, a promo from one of those cheap top hat bunny type acts, I figured. But somehow we felt compelled to stop in and check it out. And uh, it does say at the Bijou live today on stage, occult magic, right? <laughs> at, at first, I thought he was kind of referencing like a strip, like a strip club or something. But I realized he means, <laughs> oh, top hat and bunny, like, take my hat. Look at me, pull a rabbit out of my hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at first, I'm like, you're bringing your sister to what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is wild. And then we do see uh, uh, he goes, the magician's name was Moondark. And his act was everything I expected it to be. Dull, lifeless packed with every overused piece of predestination you could imagine. And he goes, uh, it took me exactly 23 seconds to get my fill of Moondark's act and to be bored of this distraction. He goes, but my companions, it seemed, didn't share my distaste. And they're like zombie eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. And this guy looks like the worst, like, oh, my God, this costume. He's like, it's like, I'm going to combine the worst effect, the worst parts of Zatara and Dracula and Bela Lugosi's Dracula into one. Yeah, he's got like a red cape, and it's yellow, red on the outside, yellow on the inside, uh, real high collar, and blue pants, a blue short jacket, a red cummerbund, and a yellow shirt. (laughs) Yeah, it does not look good. Yeah, he's got a really crappy beard and really crappy eye makeup, too. (laughs) Yeah, but then he starts hearing Moondark's voice in his head. Mm-hmm. Th- that tells me Moondock was the master of my fate, the ruler of my soul. And then he wakes up later, and of course he's shirtless. Yeah, that's I was Jack's little... true power to to lose his shirt. Yeah, I was a little hazy on this. Why does he wake up shirtless? Because he wakes up as if Moondark's not... creepy. <laughs> yeah, Moondark uh, half undressed him here, and he goes, yeah. "Oh, my aching head." And Moondark says, "So, my boy, you finally awaken. Good. There's much we have to do." And he goes. We, what are you jabbering about, Moon Drake? And he goes, the name is Moon Dark, my boy. You would do well to remember it. <laughs> if you don't want people to make comments about Mandrake the Magician, don't make your name sound like Mandrake. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So he goes, soon, thanks to your presence here, the whole world shall change at its mention. Now be silent and gaze into my eyes. We have a little time to waste. And he forces Jack to have a transformation here into the werewolf, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, because he even says, even though the next full moon is still several weeks away, mm-hmm. the searing eyes of Moondark brought out the beast in me. So it could only be like a week after the last issue, even for all we know. Yeah, and he goes, there, that's better. Now, my shaggy one, your first task is to destroy the costumed interloper revealed in my mystic mists before and, he can interfere with my plans. And we see Spidey walking up the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And apparently it's also like a travel, it's a portal, because the werewolf goes through the smoke and comes out where we saw him in the beginning of the issue. Yeah, that brought, that like that little uh, explanation here brought us right to, you know, page one there. But I do find it interesting, because I'm thinking to myself, Moondark here, what was his plan if Spider-Man hadn't shown up? You know what I mean? Like, is him trying to get Jack and the werewolf to attack Spider-Man only because Spider-Man's there? I, I'm a little I think so. Yeah, it seemed kind of weird. Yeah, I think I think so, because we find out his whole purpose here is because he wants to stop Spidey from interfering with his plans. But mm-hmm. the only reason Spidey knows about his plans is because he sent the werewolf after him. Yeah, so it kind of seems like his big plan here was just to try to hypnotize everybody in San Francisco into doing what he wants but then all of a sudden he's like oh crap now i can have a werewolf under my control that'll be even more fun right yeah i don't think he has much of a plan he's no. not that right <laughs> and then spider-man says um right now we'd better look up that magician chum of yours before he casts his evil eye on someone else and several minutes and a few miles of webbing later uh you sure about this place jack he goes are you kidding to Spider-Man, I couldn't forget this theater if I wanted to. I left my sister and best friend back here, remember? Spidey says, uh-huh, just hold your breath a few seconds, and we'll see about getting them back. If we can sneak in the back door, well, figures, the stupid door is locked. So then Spider-Man just rams the door like Rhino. Yeah. And then they say, I do like this part. He's going down the stairs, you know, with, with Jack behind him. He's like, better watch your step, pal. No telling what kind of surprises Moonshine could have set up for us down here. <laughs> I like that. Moon- Moonshine, yeah. yeah. Jack, you, you got any ideas, Jack? Jack? Oh, no. Yes. Please, yep. Spidey Sense, tell me what I'm feeling isn't true. And he turns around, there's a werewolf attacking him. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I do and, like yeah. that. That was a nice little thing. It's like, oh, crap. Don't mm. tell me. Don't tell me. Don't. Ugh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, we got a crazy little fight scene. The two of them go rolling down the stairs right to an open door where uh moondark is standing there with buck and lisa hypnotized and uh, i love these two panels at the bottom here where the world starts choking the crap out of spider-man but uh spider-man then uh, is a thwack and uh, gives him the, the, the old double, double fist yeah the double fist right to the face and knocks him off um and then we get you know again they just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and on that next page 26 there's again there's a close-up of jack's face and like one of his claws there it looks really yeah really that's good. cool looking yeah. yeah, that looks great. And uh, almost like it's Spidey's, you know, immediate eye view of what he's looking at, right? Like what's right in front of him. Like yeah, and point this, of view. That's pretty cool. This issue ends fairly quickly. It's just the two of them just keep fighting back and forth with no end in sight. But then Moondark is there and he goes, You may have come to San Francisco to throw up my master plan, costumed one, but all you will accomplish is your death. And Spider Man says, This may come as a jolt to your ego, chuckles. But an hour ago, I didn't even know you existed and couldn't have cared less. <laughs> oh, man, Spider-Man. He's like, he's like letting them have it. He's blasting them. Like, I don't even know who the hell you are, and I never cared, you moron. And Moondark this is, is all on you. 
He's very offended by that. Lies, all lies. But under my control, the shaggy one shall soon tear you, tear from you the truth. And Spider-Man just says, then suppose we remove your control and see what happens. And he just drop kicks him into that like portal of mist. No, you fall into the mist of passage. No, but Spider-Man goes in with him, right? Well, the momentum, yeah, he falls in with him, too. As Spidey mm-hmm. says, oops. <laughs> and then Jack is there on the floor, or the werewolf, and he just changes back into Jack. And then, well, of because, course... Yeah, the control's the... there, gone now. It's not the full moon, so... Mm-hmm. And uh, Buck and Lisa are also like, huh, what's going on? Like, they're coming out of their trance as well. And Lisa says, my headaches? What happened to us, Jack? And he goes, that, dear sister, is a long story that begins with my unnatural affinity for certain things and ends here and he's pointing at what looks to be like i don't know what that is ashes. a pile of ashes yeah. so did moondark get turned into ashes here i think that's just the smoke from the portal i guess yeah or it's whatever he was burning to make the smoke yeah and then i guess too, because the portal was show still... back up yeah sorry the portal was still open to just the golden gate bridge right yeah, because Spidey says, sheesh, poor old Moondark missed a handhold by that much. And we can mm-hmm. see, like, a little thing in the water. So Moondark, basically, they went back to the Golden Gate Bridge, and Moondark just fell right into the water. Yeah, and Spider-Man couldn't care less. He goes, I doubt Werewolf has a resiliency to kind of that, to resiliency to that kind of fall. Well, with Moondark gone, his supernatural hold on the people of Frisco should cease. Guess nobody but me will even remember what went on tonight. And even I can hang around crying over spilt magicians. Still got me a camera and some clothes to reclaim from a rooftop back in town. Can't very well handle that photo assignment as Spider-Man. Now, can I? And then there's a little caption box that says, uh, well, you just might have to, Web Slinger, but we'd best wait till the pages of Daredevil 103 to find out just for sure. (laughs) Yep. And Uh, that's the end of that. Yeah, so that was a crazy issue. Uh, Again, another fun little one-off you know, especially as far as Jack's concerned here, not much, you know, much significance with anything really a whole lot in the issue and going forward, but still it was kind of fun, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially because Moondark's so pathetic. It's like, God, you idiot. Yeah. He's lame. He's, he's very, very, very lame. (laughs) I mean, you had no problems until you made your own problem. Mm -hmm. I do like how he's kind of arrogant too. that. You know, we talked about, you know, Krog in the last one. He's not quite at Krog's level, but he's arrogant enough that when Spider-Man tells him that he's never even heard of him, he he just will not believe that. <laughs> I am everyone's concern. No he's like, lies. Who the hell you are, dude. No one lies. cares. All lies. <laughs> I love it. I get it. He took offense to that. I can't believe how much he actually, he actually comes back. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. I, I think I at least have one or two other stories somewhere at some point when he popped up and they're there. Like you said, they're he's so yeah, it's all Ghostwriter stuff. Well, for the most part, because it's Marvel Team Up 91, which I saw was spiting Ghostwriter, mm-hmm. Ghostwriter 56 and 59. So that's 80 and 81. And then nothing. Until two years ago. Oh, wow. That's wild. <laughs> 2021 symbiote spider-man crossroads number one and two he appears in wow holy grasping at straws batman (laughs) you pulled him out for that (laughs) now that series i saw was written by peter david so i could see peter david bringing back some lame villain and probably having fun with him oh that's true because you figure by the late 70s he was starting to do some fill-in work i think wasn't he early 80s somewhere early 80s at least yeah he definitely was i did see his name popping up just as like a fill-in guy here and there 
So, yeah, that's pretty okay. wild. I'm, I might have to read this series. I'm looking for Symbiote Spider-Man, and on that Marvel reading order, it says villains, okay, for issue one. Chameleon, Moondark, and Carnilla. Wow. <laughs> from the new, you know, from Thor. So, like, that is a weird mix. Mm-hmm. That's a team-up right there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I like I, Carnilla. She's cool. I might have to read that at some point because, like, what the hell? What's going on here? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, and the Hulk's in it, too. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's even crazier. <laughs> but like you said, if it's Peter David, it's probably pretty good. Yeah. But anyway. Wow. Enough about Spider-Man. All right. So, yeah, moving on. We are also going to be covering Werewolf by Night, number nine here as well in this recording. And this is a, a special one again for me. So, you know, I said about how issue eight was my favorite cover of the entire Werewolf by Night series. Well, issue number nine has my all-time favorite crazy, wacky villain. Uh, we'll get to him in a minute here, but why don't we just start out with the uh, covers here, the details. I so. like this cover because this is kind of cool because we have our mystery, our villain, pulling werewolf down through a manhole cover, but mm-hmm. it's like a cross-section. It's like we can see through, so we see both. We see above ground, and then we see like the street, and then we can see the sewer underneath. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. pretty cool. I like that. Really, really cool. cool. Yeah, and it's uh, pencils by Tom Sutton and inks by Frank Giacoya as well. Letters by uh, Maury Kuramato. So, yeah, this is, I I really like how uh, uh, Sutton designed this cover. I really like this, too. Like I said, that cross-section is cool. Yeah, that is a cool-looking thing. I like that. That's different. That's unique. Mm -hmm. I have not seen many covers like that, so that's a cool thing. The Yeah, the moon in the background, all bright with, you know, like the... You know, the street with the car there and there's people walking down each side of the street and then underneath just like you said some couple of rats running around <laughs> there's a lot of rats there actually yeah uh, yeah there is holy crap there's like a dozen of them well i mean it is uh the sewer so uh, that's it's probably pretty accurate right <laughs> well yeah it's, yeah possibly i hope not oh that's creepy <laughs> and it says yeah. poss- possibly the year's most frightening thriller um, so yeah, all right. Well, let's dive into this one. So this is a script, Jerry Conway, uh, and pencils and inks by Tom Sutton, who is one of my all-time favorite horror artists, and uh, we'll get into oh, that. And letters, and letters as well. Yep. And then uh, we had George Rousseau's on uh, colors. So yeah, this one just says Jack is captured by the Tatterdemalion for the committee. All right. So we're gonna try to unpack wait, what that means. You- I the, the credits here are more fun. They're having fun with this credits because it said besides Roy Thomas editor, we have Len Wein, special consultant, mm-hmm. and Jack Russell, narrator. <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious. The the special consultant Len Wein, I get that because we like we just said, he was the scripter on the Marvel team up and he was the writer, scripter, whatever of issue eight for uh, Werewolf by Night here. And so he also obviously- appears in here. Yeah, <laughs> he does. So he, him and uh, his wife. So, you yeah, know, he was also obviously pretty, you know, heavily involved with World by Night here, which is which is cool. So that I get. But, yeah, the Jack Russell narrator is hilarious. But he does start off narrating here on this opening page, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. We get the uh, first night, a new moon and the return of my animal need through the dark alleys of the city. I ran searching, seeking, hunting for a way out a route to the forest and my bestial prey. And, you know, there's four panels at the top, you know, uh, showing him running through the city here. And then it says, uh, but I was, I wasn't destined to reach the woods near Los Angeles. Not that night. Other forces were at work forces, which worked 
to capture me and create terror beneath the earth. And I really love the uh, the uh, job there with the uh, logo, right? The oh, lettering. yeah. No, that is that is pretty cool. Yeah, the terror beneath. Yeah, that big terror beneath the earth as he's running across the street and the city. It is pouring out. Mm-hmm. And I realized at yeah. first, I just realized. And this is actually impressive. He's not just drawing a more furry werewolf. I mean, he might be. Like, you know, like I said, Warner Roth was doing. Mm-hmm. But this is a very wet one. Yeah. He has, yeah. His fur does look like it's an animal's fur, like a dog's fur running around in the rain. Yeah, when it's wet. Yeah. 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 Like, I'm impressed. Like, it looks a little thicker, a little more than it should be because it's so puffed out, you know, all being wet and probably shaking himself off every five minutes. Yes, it it looks exactly like that when you have a cat or a dog or whatever, and if they get wet and then they try to shake themselves off and wring the water out, how their fur gets a little wild. That's how his looks here with his one claw coming towards the reader here. That looks yeah. fantastic. So that's pretty cool. It's like he took into effect that account the fact that it is pouring out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of Sutton's Charlton work, but oh man, he is an excellent horror artist. Really, really good. Charlton is a blind spot for me. I've not read much Charlton yet. Yeah, I have a few issues with some of his stories, and I'll have to send you some pics. It's really, really good. He's a he's one of those guys you don't hear people talk about very often, but during this era, he was he was right up there to me with anybody else, like Plug, anybody that was a horror artist, you know, mainly. But yeah. Uh, he yeah he ran out in front of a car with a uh, interesting looking gentleman and his wife here, right? Yeah. As- <laughs> She says to him, Lynn, what that wasn't that wasn't that a don't say it, honey. Wasn't that a werewolf? I told you not to say that, Glennis. And I told you we shouldn't take our vacation to California. Bunch of weirdos in this town. <laughs> yeah, so you gotta love uh Len uh, Ween and Glennis Ween, his uh, new wife here, right? <laughs> I swear it never works out for them. They go they go for a Halloween parade, stuff happens, they go to take vacation vacation in California, stuff happens. Mm, and I love how Sutton illustrates this, these three panels, well, the whole book, but these three panels here where they're having that conversation inside the car with it pouring, raining. And then the next shot is from like underneath the car and you see Jack and a street light and a bus stop sign and a tire from the car and you see a storm drain. And then in the next panel, someone peeking out from a storm drain there. Yeah, and like the camera goes closer up and you can see now in the storm drain, you see there's a face there. Yeah, this creepy guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, you could just see these eyes and a hat and like a scarf covering his mouth. So it's mm-hmm. just eyes and his big nose. And it's Jack above nose. the street level with it pouring raining again, too. It's incredible work for a small panel. It, it does really. And it really does make it feel like this is a pouring, you know, pounding rain. Like this city is being drenched. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you have an umbrella on, raincoat, whatever. You are soaked if you're outside. It's like a monster. <laughs> and this uh, individual that's in the sewer says, it is him, the monster. Sarnak will be pleased. And he looks out of another storm drain and says, for hours I have been trailing him, waiting for the moment, the moment to strike. Now the moment is approaching. I can sense it nearing me. Sarnak, let it be soon. Sarnak, let it be very soon. So obviously this guy is in the employ of someone else named Sarnak here, which... We won't get yeah, to that until the next issue, though. But, uh, yeah, a really cool panel of him creeping around the sewers here. And uh, he thinks to himself, he is above me now. Sarnak, please let it happen quickly. I want it quickly. It's like, okay, dude, he sounds like he's, you know, getting, like, aroused here. He is really into the Sarnak guy. 
Mm-hmm. And apparently tracking down and attacking werewolves, which is a little bizarre, but this guy is a bizarre individual. And he does yes. uh, chase him down here and pop out of a manhole and says, Monster, I have come for you. And it says, With a snarl, I whirled. My lips went back from my teeth. My eyes widened as I growled. And uh, we got a crazy, crazy fight scene with these two here, right? On page five. Oh, man. So, so good. I like this. I like this. It's almost like a symbolic page, like where it almost looks like they're fighting over the city, like they're flying in the air. Yes. The perspective there is really neat. Yes. But it also kind of makes it feel like it is one of those things where it's so raining so hard. You, you're driving, you know, if you're in a car, you can't see more than a foot ahead of you. So like they're running through this thing. They have like you can't tell whether you're running on a street almost or like you're running in the air. Like you don't know where anything is. You know, mm. it's just, you know, the rain and the, the rain and the wind is all you can see around you. It makes the feel I mean, it does make a feel like that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I love Conway's uh, dialogue box here. Or I'm sorry, a uh, caption box here. It says and this is Jack's uh, inner monologue, I guess it says he swept toward me, a misshapen bat in ancient wine soaked clothing. The beast in me was repelled by the creature's strangeness, but my human half, the part of me which was still Jack Russell, sensed that there was something at stake here of far greater importance than one werewolf's haunted life. <laughs> it's great. I love uh, it. Jack, you're so melodramatic. Yeah, this guy goes, and this is, this is kind of why I love this issue, too, in this character. You know, we're going to find out eventually about this guy that he's just a dude. And he's like a little like mentally unstable and he's got a few tricks up his sleeve, but they portray him more as a monstrous kind of character in this issue. But when the character gets fleshed out more, we find out he's, he's just basically a hobo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm finding out it powers and abilities. This character has no known powers. Abilities. No. This character has no known abilities. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's crazy, but he goes right at the werewolf and grabs him by the throat and starts choking him. And then Jack, you know, fires back and starts punching him, and they go back and forth here. But eventually, this guy takes off his crazy, like, uh, cloak here and wraps it around Jack. And, uh, you know, it's like... Fool, you think I wear this cape for nothing? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, finally, uh, this... I'm assuming it's this Sarnak character starts kind of helping uh, our would-be attacker here by, like, this mentally, like... I'm trying to under, uh, trying to explain how he does it. It's like almost like this mental, like the telepathic zap in his brain here, right? Yeah, he's calling him back, and whether it's intentional or not, that call the werewolf can kind of sense it, and it's hurting his, it's hurting him, almost like a dog whistle or something. You yes. know, like yeah, Sarnak. It's just to him, it's just like oh, uh, hey, oh, I'm being called back, but to Jack, it's like painful. Yeah, and he passes out. Oh my gosh, and that panel where he passes out. What is going on there? That is crazy. Do you see that? Like hard, like demons, like animal demons, like wolf demons and a snake demon like looking at him over. Like, you know, but in in like a serpent. So we can't tell if it's real or just what his brain is imagining. Yeah, because Jack's like passed out laying there in the water in the rain on the street with a trash can. And it, it's like all around him, but you can't tell if it's for real or if it's in his head or what's going on. But it's he says he has nightmare dreams. So I'm assuming this is all in his head, but he wakes up in the drunk tank. <laughs> yep. I love this. <laughs> this is great. And uh, one of the drunks says, well, looky here, Mr. Sleeping Beauties uh, coming out of it. 
you really hung on, hung one on, didn't you, punk? And he goes, go away, please, go away. Uh, wait, what? Where am I? <laughs> so he woke up from the nightmare with these drunks around him. <laughs> yeah. And he's pissed off. The tank? I'm in jail? That isn't possible. <laughs> yeah, and he starts screaming for the guard to let him out. There's been a mistake. And the guard does show up and say, all right, don't get excited, kid. We're getting to it. The lieutenant said to bring you as soon as you woke. And they bring him down the hallway. And uh, it's that lieutenant. Uh, I think it's Lieutenant Hackett guy, right? Yeah, Lou Hackett. Yeah, he says, we've been looking for you, Mr. Russell. There are some matters we're hoping to clear up. And he says, matters? And he goes, what kind of matters, lieutenant? And he says, let me make it simple, Russell. A few months ago, there was an incident at your family's beach house. Some motorcycle hoods were messed up pretty badly, along with a few state police. And he goes, just for a month before your family chauffeur was killed by some sort of beast. And just around that time, a kid named Jack Russell manages to disappear. And this is all from, you know, uh, the Marvel spotlight uh, era here for uh, Jack when all this went down. And he goes, what's that yep. got to do with me, Hackett? And Hackett says, I'm not sure. I've been asking questions, but so far I haven't gotten any answers. I'll get them, though, just like we got this. And he uh, has his wallet. And he goes, my wallet. I'm thinking, okay, he had his wallet. Big deal, Hackett. What does that mean? Well, here's the best part. Thanks, Hackett. I've been looking for that. I'm sure you were, Russell. We found it near you where you were passed out. So you're going to get your answers like you got the wallet. By dumb luck? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I just, um... hey, look at this guy passed out. Hey, his wallet's right next to him. Wow, that's lucky. Yeah, some excellent police work here, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he goes, if that's all, Lieutenant, and he goes, not quite. Bring them in, Sergeant. And at the door is uh, the stepfather, Philip, and Lisa. And, uh, you know, they come in to basically, you know, I don't want to say take custody of Jack, but kind of say, hey, we're here now. We'll take care of him. See you later, pal, because they're not charging him with anything because they can't, you know, prove he committed any kind of a crime, right? Yeah, all they know is he kind of vanished. You know, he seems to disappear at the same time that things happen. But, you know, no one's ever... Whatever happened, there's no evidence to point towards him. Mm -hmm. so and Philip, no one knows. we know he hates Jack, so he says to him once they get in the car, you've been quite an embarrassment to me these past few months, Jack. It wasn't enough for you to leave home, was it? You have to uh, race around half naked as well. Put this on. I won't have you sitting in my car unclothed. And it's like, he has pants on, dude. It's just he's just missing a shirt. I know, but I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how did the, does Jack do this enough that he knew who's to bring a shirt? Like, oh, they have Jack. <laughs> All right, let me get a clothes. And maybe the lieutenant said, bring some clothes for this hippie or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Damn hippies. Yeah, Jack says, I suppose you've been well, father. And he goes, don't try to butter me up, Jack. Your sister Lisa's tried that too often. You haven't the slightest interest in my welfare. Nor, to be quite frank, have I any interest in yours, as long as you persist in your attitude towards me. And then him and Lisa just start talking amongst themselves in the back, you know, about, uh, you know, her being worried about him. He's been alone and this and that. So they do get to the house and, you know, Jack and Philip here really start kind of going at it. They're really antagonistic towards each other. Oh, right? yeah. This is. Yeah. You can tell this is this makes sense, though. When you're mm -hmm. 18, 19, 20 years old and you think, you know, everything. And oh, yeah. whether your father is actually your stepfather, your father, and whether or not he actually may or may not be involved in your mother's death doesn't matter. <laughs> At some point, there's a pretty damn good chance you're having an argument like this. Oh, yeah. Basically, any authority figure at that age, you're just like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, and another he, thing, Jacob. If you expect another dime of your mother's money, you better think again. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, if he's of age and there was an inheritance, you can't stop him from getting that money, dude. Well, we don't know because it says her will specifically states. So it depends. Is it in trust? And if so, at what age? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's know. a 21 thing. Exactly. Or 25 for all we know. We don't know. Or yeah. maybe it's that Jack must go to school. You know, we don't know what is in there. We just know there's something must be something more than just if I die, my kids get my money. Yeah. And then Jack goes into his room and is like, screw you, leave me alone. And uh, he monologues or the caption box says, I slammed the door hard. And even as I did so, I knew it was a rather silly thing to do, but I didn't care. It's like I said, I hate the man as no human being should hate another i hate phil russell what i didn't realize was that i could be the object of a similar hate and then that's you see so this... that's so 18 19 year old <laughs> oh absolutely you see this like smoke or something coming into the room through the window behind him right like what's going on here yeah, but wait let's let's not over, over miss skip over the best part as he goes into his storms into his room to shut slam the door what's the first thing he does <laughs> rips the shirt off that philip gave him and throws it off <laughs> so he does not like wearing shirts mm. i'm following the bruce banner rule of uh, fashion yeah he's like it'll rip off later anyway i might as well take it off now right <laughs> no shirt just pants but then wow there's a set of four panels here in the middle of this uh, page page 14 where it shows the house and uh, you know uh I feel like Sutton, his work is slightly a little more abstract, maybe than like yeah, it's a little somebody. More, he goes a little more towards like yeah, like you said, the abstract or you know, he's going more for the feeling of what it is and not just the exact uh, representation of what's happening. Yeah, a lot more moody, ethereal, you know, artwork here, and it shows the house and it says a uh, uh, hate that was just a little bit less personal. And we see Jack in the window. And then again, from a different angle, we see there's somebody uh, approaching the house here. And they're coming out of the manhole. Yeah. Yeah. It says quietly, my brothers, we must move with stealth if we are to reach the youth without alerting him. And that is what Sarnak commands. So again, with the Sarnak dude, right? Yeah. But it's not just the one guy now, there's four of them. Yeah. It's, you know, the guy from earlier. And he's got some uh, buddies here to help him. And, you know, they don't ever say that there's something supernatural about these uh, people or guys, whatever you want to call them. But there definitely has to be. Like, look at these guys in that bottom left panel there, right? Maybe. Um, you know what I'm thinking of, though? Because we find out later Sarnak's controlling them and, like, has twisted them and using them. And I'm yeah. wondering, because it's weird, but I randomly was listening to this one podcast and they were talking about the movie Darkman. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. Yep, yep. And remember, it wasn't that he had powers. It's that basically his adrenaline was constantly pumping and he wasn't feeling pain. And I'm wondering if it's something similar with them. It's not that they have powers, but like they're constantly on edge or maybe it's adrenaline pumping, but also they're not, there's no, like not even a thought for themselves. So mm -hmm. they're willing to dive through windows and attack werewolves. So maybe that's what it is. It's not so much they have powers, but like, as opposed to anyone else fighting him, like Spidey's not about Spidey was still trying to dodge the werewolf. This guy's just like, you know, like we saw earlier, just jumps in to strangle him. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, almost yep. like when you see cops uh, going after somebody that's on like some kind of crazy drugs and they try to tase them and it doesn't stop them and stuff like that. Kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. It's but just these... that there is no self, you know, no concern about self or, or even thought about that. So yeah, they're it's not just afraid wild. to jump through the window. Yeah, it's just wild because like some of their teeth look like vampiric. They're like clawed instead of like regular hands. They do they they, they do look like there's something supernatural or monstrous about them. I mean, that's possible too. Yeah. Well, he uh, our boy jumps right through the window here and attacks Jack, and you know he gets the better of him and knocks him out. And I guess you know him and the minions are going to carry him off, right? Yeah. Except you know. Jack again, forgot about the moon. It's funny. The only time he remembers the moon is that one time when he's by himself in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, but it's, this time it's, oh no, the moon, it's coming up. I've forgotten to die. It's the second night. Yeah, look at that panel there too, where he, you know, kind of jumps up. Oh man, that's so good. Yeah, no, I like how the panel's all in color as the guy starts banging him and hit, kick him back behind the head, kicking him in the face. And it's like together we will go to Sarnak, and he would be most ple- he would be pleased most. And then all of a sudden it's like in black and white, with the exception of the moon. Mm-hmm. And you see pleased as like the werewolf starts coming up. It's like that is cool. I like that was a nice coloring. That was nice with the coloring. Yeah, like you said, it's like a blue hue with some blacks, but then just the yellow moon in that middle panel, and then the panel where Jack leaps up, he's like red with some shading and then a little bit of blue around and then the moon in the background. It looks really, really good. That's a nice use of color. Yeah. Oh, here we go. So the fight's on. It's like, you know, Jack versus the the creeps here. And (laughs) I I, I really expected this fight to go outside and the dad just to be pissed at Jack. Like Jack's making a mess, you know, treating his room like a rock star and being an ass. But no, the fight goes downstairs. Yeah, they go flying down the stairs. I was not expecting that at all. Jack swinging from a chandelier and everything, right? <laughs> and Dad and Lisa are watching this fight from upstairs. And what does Dad do? He gets a gun. Yeah, this is and crazy. He, and he shoots one of the guys, you know, but it's right by the werewolf. And she says, Father, no. Bassett, get back, Lisa. I know what I'm doing. So the question is, does he? is he just saying he knows what he's doing because, well, there's things in our house? Or... Does he know what to shoot at and what not to shoot at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting because right as this is like reaching a fever pitch, that crazy, whatever that, you know, dog whistle type thing, <laughs> this Sarnak guy apparently can do that, you know, calls his people back. And that also makes Jack, you know, get like a migraine, it looks like, and kind of knock him out. Oh, migraines they- do that. Yeah, and they they grab him and just take him out of there and go back to the uh, manhole, right? Yeah, they bring him right into the sewers and carry him and throw him in like a pit, like, you know, a larger version of the pit the girl was in from uh, Sons of the Lambs. (laughs) Yeah, yep, except there's nobody here. There's no Buffalo Bill here. It's just these uh, creepy dudes that take him back uh, through the sewers, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool, like the the panels and like I like I said, the coloring. At least at least maybe it's, I don't know if it's the original. I would like to see the original, see the diff- if there's any difference in coloring. But like as they're carrying him back, he's in regular color, but they're all in yellow, completely. Mm-hmm. That's then how it is. Clothes. Yep. And then yep. it's you know almost like that blue background for the manhole covering pulled back over, and then again 
in the sewer, it's all like a yellow tint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it is in the original issue. Yep. Oh, that is pretty cool looking. That is a nice job. I like I like that. Like they're they're going with the art. If the art's a bit more atmospheric and uh, you know abstract and moody, the the art you know the coloring is going with it. That is pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. Now Jack, you know he's like you said, chucked into this pit. It's not really super deep or anything, but it's you know we we see him it's in large there. Enough. And, yeah, and he's growling and wakes up and he's pissed off and. We finally get to meet this Sarnak character, and he says, uh, very good. He says, most of these other miscreants took hours to regain their senses after coming into contact with the command. But you, you prove yourself worthy, ca- a worthy capture, my lupine friend. A most worthy capture indeed. Don't snarl, my pet. I'll have no snarling. Not here, not at me. From this moment, I am your master. From this moment, you obey Sarnak. And Sarnak alone. <laughs> so I'm like, oh boy, this isn't going to go over well, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. He tells him to heal, beast, heal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he looks really interesting. So what do you, how do you describe uh, this close-up on Sarnak here? It, he's wearing like an orange cape with a hood, but he has like a green mask on. Is that and a mask? I thought maybe it was his face. I, I mean, that's what it looks like from here, but I can't tell. Yeah. It's a green, and his hand is green, too. That's why I thought maybe that's his face. Yeah, well, because I'm wondering, because the thing I'm looking at Marvel Reading Order for the character, it's it's an orange cape, like hood, but a blue mask. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is freaky then, looking, because it's very, like, there's no real features to it. It's just, like, you know, a little slit for white, you know, white slit for eyes and, like, fake eyebrows painted on, like, a, you know, a little nose. And that, you know, like nostrils, you know, holes for the mm-hmm. nose, and that's it. Yeah, and then Jack gets pissed off about this, and he leaps up and, like, scrapes, like, swats at uh, Sarnak here, like he's going to try to, like, rip him open. And Sarnak says, <laughs> an amusing display, my pet. Now you will learn the consequences of disobedience by feeling the cry of command. And he uses this, like, power that he has to zap the crap out of him, right? Yeah, like an ultrasonic dog, ultra dog whistle. Mm-hmm. And it that does really hurt Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Not, knocks him completely out because then the next panel you see all, uh, Sarnak and all his minions here uh, over the pit. And it looks like they're poking him with a bunch of sticks. Yeah. yeah. Well, like they're, <laughs> they're throwing in these chains with hooks on them. Yeah. It's really nasty looking. And then Sarnak says the control flute is now synchronized with his brain waves. So he'll afford us no difficulty in the future. So I guess it's not a power he has. It's some kind of device, right? Now, I'm wondering, because that little skull thing on his, on like his, like almost like a brooch, it looks like, because when he says that third panel on the page, he says, an amusing display, my pet. Mm-hmm. And it looks like his hand is reaching for it. Yeah, or almost like a dog whistle or something. So I'm wondering if that's hand. what he's using. Yeah, it must be, but I do like that panel. It's hard there to tell, yeah. Last panel on that page 22 there, Jack's all like wet from being in the water with his fur. And he's like a grayish kind of purple color. That yeah, was really they, cool. They have like the, the hook thing under his shoulders, like they're picking him up with it. Yeah. And wow. So this is the panel of the book for me. Uh, page 24, that top panel. Wow. Is that great? Oh, my gosh. Oh, really, yeah. The really one cool. of all. They all look like Crypt keeper, Keepers. Yeah. They look like something from an EC comic. Yeah. Yeah, so basically he's picked up all of these, you know, lost people and basically 
use that command to force them to obey him. Yeah, he says, they are the dregs of society, the hopeless bums, the men whose lives have been dissolved by the acid of despair. They're the derelicts, the drunks, the vagabonds, diseased without and within, all but lost of the human race, a touch of the command, and they are mine forever, and all too willing to bow to my every whim, just like you, my pet, the perfect army of terror themselves, fearsome to behold. So he's taking people already down in their luck, and he's using them. Yeah, and he's yes. manipulating them. Great yeah. guy, huh? But yeah, yeah these people, ass. these people, like I said, they just there's this, they 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 don't look like just somebody that's down on their luck. They look like something straight out of a horror movie. Well, considering the way he's making them live, I'm not surprised. They're probably eating like rats or whatever they can catch oh, down the sewer. Gross! Oh god. I mean, think about you see the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes. Yes. Think of Gollum when he's eating. Yeah, <laughs> that's so them. Gross. Oh. Well, Jack's still down in this pit, and now he gets the hook from underneath his arms, and he's really pissed off, and he throws the hook up at Sarnak, and Sarnak says, what? It seems I erred in considering you tamed. No matter. It's an error simply corrected, and he blasts him with the whistle or flute or whatever it is again, and again, it kind of knocks Jack out, right? Yeah, and this time it kind of makes him heal a bit. He mm-hmm. follows along them as they leave, even though you know, he's not doesn't like them. But he's like, I. He's kind of like a, you know, I followed meekly, waiting for a chance, but knowing my hopes were in vain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then <laughs> we see then uh, Sarnak. He's looking out through one of the uh, storm drains, and he says, "This is the moment. This moment is pregnant with destiny, my pet." Now, that was an interesting way of putting it. It is here that we shall begin our reign of terror. A reign commissioned by those men who created the control flute, the committee. Ooh, well, I've <laughs> so heard now, of that name before. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's something that it, it it's this is the beginnings of it, and it's it, we're we're gonna have to you know we're gonna end on a cliffhanger here with this issue in this episode for for now. But uh, yeah, there's a little bit more at play than just this. But it seems at first like this Sarnak guy, you know, he's just being told by this committee to control all these bums and Jack. To just like, like turn into like you know, like a Antifa or something here. They just start running through the city and just beating the crap out of everybody and causing all sorts of havoc, right? Yeah, they're just like yeah, they're just like they're like just an army of terror. They're there just to show mm-hmm. up out of nowhere and just attack and kill. Yeah, what they're like, doing. Yeah, they start you know just like beating people and flipping cars over and going berserk. And on page twenty-seven, you know, Jack is like fully under Sarnak's control at this point, so. He picks it's up a Philly couple after of cops. the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he picks these two cops up and starts throwing them around and going berserk here. Yeah, until he sees Lisa. Reason Lisa's there. <laughs> and she kind of snaps him out of it a little bit, especially when uh, some of these other guys like start attacking her. But then, you know, they're attacking her, but then. You know, he tries to stop them, but Sarnak, you know, zaps him again with that crazy flute or dog whistle or whatever it is. And that hurts him enough that they grab her and take off with her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The two of you will prove most useful to the committee that I can assure you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he goes, and if the morrow's mission moves as smoothly as the eaves, you'll both be most useful indeed. Take them below. The night is just beginning. And. They're grabbing Lisa and dragging her down there. Man, looks kind of creepy, by the way. That guy grabbing her by the hips there. Yeah, that's a little, that's a little touchy. Yeah, like, hey, watch the hands, buddy. 
<laughs> That's really now. Gross. I will say Sutton's Lisa is a little weird looking because it's not yes. exactly the Lisa I'm used to. No, because at least Werner Ross Lisa still look like the same Lisa from before. Yeah, this kind of like, looks like a different girl. Yeah, like Sutton was using some kind of photo reference of like you know. Yeah, or so know, maybe Pat, Sutton got confused and thought he was drawing Jack's girlfriend. Here, Pat Benatar like or somebody here. He, he like, thought he was drawing Jack's girlfriend because she does look like Lisa, remember? <laughs> That's true. But yeah, she she's a bit off model for sure. I thought everybody else looked pretty good, but she definitely looks a, a bit odd. I don't know if he wasn't yeah. looking at previous issues or he just decided to make her look like somebody that gave him the hots. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but at least they tell oh, us Lisa, so we know it is. It's not like it's a surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like confusing. Do. Does it show on the Marvel app like ads and stuff like that? No. Okay, because there's a super cool ad on the next to last page for uh, brother voodoo which is really great it's a character i love too or like a half page ad underneath the uh oh, nice. the mail uh wear mail by night <laughs> which is a fantastic name here really really loving that wear mail by Gotta night. Love that. yeah <laughs> so yeah man so yeah we're uh like we said we're gonna be uh, uh on a little cliffhanger here till our next episode where we'll jump in with uh 10 and 11 and, uh, you know, 10 will kind of uh, wrap up this crazy storyline with the committee. If I don't if I remember correctly, I think it stops at 10. And then, you know, we'll be on to uh, 11 after that. And 11, that's my second favorite cover of literally all time for uh, Werewolf by Night as well. It's just a really, really crazy good uh, horror cover. You know, it's like something right out of a, you know, a movie. It almost looks like a movie poster. That's like, uh, again, my second favorite cover there. But, yeah, looking forward to those two. Uh, coming up on our next one. So overall, some uh, some good material here, right? A lot of fun with a couple of one-offs, and then now one with oh, a yeah. continuing story. Yeah, no, this is fun. This is amusing. I mean, they were one-off stories, but they were good. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. they were fine. They were fine, and at least some sorry. At least, well, the Marvel team up. I didn't expect anything to continue on, but the yeah. other one at least did have you know continue on the the subplots a bit. Sounds like a werewolf in the background there. <laughs> yeah, someone's whining for his walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we better wrap it up then. So. so good timing that we finished. Yeah, good timing. So, all right. Well, if anybody is uh, looking to find you out there uh, on the ether, well, where can they find you? Well, you want to hear more from me for some strange reason. You go to my show, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, which is all about the, uh, you know, the Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe superstars, Adam Warlock and Thanos. I mean, I'm sure Adam will be a superstar. I'm sure. Soon. Soon. Yes. So just type in, and also, you know, the the actual comics that they've been in. But uh, yeah, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in, in, his, in whatever podcatcher you use, and it'll pop up. Or go to Twitter at Adam Thanos Pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, you uh, do uh, some uh, work with uh, uh, Legion uh, comic books as well, right? That's right, yeah. Um, on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D cast, uh, which you can find on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, we are talking about Legion. Not Legion of Superheroes and... Not Legion of Superheroes, though. We're talking about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi book Legion, the one with Vril Dox and Lobo. Although, in fact, at this point, we're not talking about Legion anymore. We're done with that. We're talking about Rebels. And not that first series of Rebels. The second series by Tony Bedard from 2009. Well, we already passed all that other stuff. You can, hey, everybody can go back into the archives, though, and check uh, check all that out, right? Exactly. It's all there. So, all right. 
well, that's going to wrap us up for this episode, and we will be back uh, next month with uh, more Werewolf by Night, and then looming probably in May or June, I think, is where we will finally cross over with uh, Tomb of Dracula. So looking forward to that, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Werewolf Dracula fight. I like those things. Bela Lugosi and um, Lon Chaney Jr. Jr. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a blast. So everybody uh, look forward to that, and uh, we will uh, catch you next time. From the monsters of the past comes a new generation dedicated to reversing the evil image of their forefathers. Under the leadership of none other than Count Dracula, known as Big D, three teenagers form the Dugurid group, named the Dracula. With special powers, they can transform into super mighty monsters and use their skills against all evildoers, especially the diabolical Dr. Dread and his renegade rescuers, Toad, Fly, Mummy Man, and Vampire, a group known as Ogre, the organization of generally rotten enterprises. It's right versus wrong, good over greed, niceness against naughtiness. That's the dedication of the terrific trio, Frankie, Howler, and Drac Jr., the Drac Pack. Okay, everybody, that wraps up this episode of the show. Once again, I want to thank Al for being on the show. Uh, a lot of fun, uh, you know, we're having with this and uh, going to keep going on, hopefully uh, all the way till the end of Werewolf by Night and even covering his, uh, you know, appearances elsewhere in the uh, Marvel Universe uh, for the Bronze Age there as well, and maybe even slightly beyond. So uh, definitely stay tuned. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. See you later. <laughs>